We are reading this morning from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, page 1153 and 1154 in the Church Bible, page 1153 and 1154. Later, Paul will describe Tychicus in his letter to the Ephesians as a beloved brother. A brother whom Paul loves and a brother um, who loves Paul and loves other Christians. And here we want to remind ourselves of what it means for you, for me, to be a beloved brother towards uh, one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, page 1153. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's turn now to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, and this morning uh, we come to the end of uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, this is our uh, 16th and final uh, consideration uh, for this time of this book. And we want to read uh, from verse uh, 21. Uh, to 23, page 1177. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am, and what I am doing, or how I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. 
peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Paul has no doubt much more that he could say and write to the Ephesians. But time and space constrain him to conclude his letter. But how ought he to end his letter? I think I said at the beginning of this series, sometimes when you go to write a letter, it's difficult to get started. And sometimes it is also difficult to know how to end. Well, in Paul's day, it was usual to end your letter with a wish. The kind of yours sincerely, or the equivalent of yours faithfully, that we would use today. But in Paul's day, this was a secular wish, often involving the local gods, and desiring that the local gods would bless the reader. And true to Paul, he does not conform to the unbelieving world around him. But also true to to Paul, he does not jettison culture. And Paul's a great man for taking what is there and redeeming it and putting it to God's use and to good use. And so he takes the usual farewell formula of his day and he saturates it with Christian truth. The same has happened at times in our own culture. For example, the farewell greeting goodbye. Many of us probably don't realise that that came into use around 1580. And it means God be with you. Or God be with you. It reflects the renewed influence of the gospel on society in that day. And the desire of Christians to greet one another in a way that honoured the Lord as they separated. And so verses 21 to 23 are Paul's goodbye, uh, using the language and the concepts of his day. And there are three things that are very simple, but I believe are very important that we can take away from Paul's goodbye. First of all, in verse 21 and verse 23, we find Paul being an encouragement to the Ephesians. Paul being an encouragement to the Ephesians. Now you might well say, Harry, hold on a moment. Is this whole letter not Paul's encouragement to the Ephesians? As he has expounded to them again the wonderful salvation that they have in Jesus Christ. The glories of the gospel. How could they not be encouraged by that? And as then he has shown them how to live out this gospel in an ungodly world. And right down to the nitty gritty of everyday relationships. Husband to wife, parents to children, employer to employee. Surely they must be um, as it were, bouncing with encouragement by this stage. And that is true. You would be absolutely right to say that. But Paul also realises that there is another form of encouragement that happens within the church, that happens now not from the pulpit ministry, which should always have encouragement for the Lord's people, If a pulpit ministry only emphasises law and sin, 
then it leaves people without hope. There must always be the grace and gospel in order to bring encouragement. But alongside that, Paul now in these closing verses puts his finger on another vital aspect and area of encouragement that should be found in the church. And he is going to be an example of this to the Ephesians. I want to quote verse 21 and verse 22 in the New King James. There's nothing wrong with how it is in the NIV, but the New King James brings out an emphasis and a repetition that Paul makes in the Greek, and I think the NIV doesn't quite get. Listen to what Paul writes. Here's the order as well. But that you also may know my affairs. What I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will make known all things to you. Then verse 22. Whom I have sent to you for this purpose, that you may know our affairs. Do you get it? Three times. Paul talks about something that he wants the Ephesians to know. And they're going to learn it from Tychicus. And what is the something that he wants them to know? That you also may know my affairs. What I am doing. Tychicus will make known all things to you. That you may know our affairs. Paul wants the Ephesians to know about him and about his life, about what he is doing, about the challenges he is facing, the opportunities he is having, those who are with him. Why? Is it because Paul is so absorbed with himself? like some modern-day preachers, that they've always got to be thrusting themselves into the faces of the people, saying, look at me, look at me. Now, that's not Paul's reason. There was no man who was more self-effacing than the Apostle Paul. He constantly hid himself, as preachers are to do, behind the Christ they preach. And so what then are his reasons? Well, look at verse 19 and 20. First of all, where we go back to last week. And as we saw last time, Paul asked the Ephesians to pray for him. And the Ephesians might very well sit there and scratch their heads and say, Well, what are we to pray for Paul? Yes, we're to pray for opportunities for the gospel. But Paul says now, but that you also may know my affairs. In other words, that you may know about me, what is happening, and how to pray for me. You see, to pray effectively for him, Paul needs to share his life with them. And the same holds true for you and me who believe in Christ. For us to pray effectively for one another. I have to share my life with you and you have to share your life with me. We have a prayer calendar to help us pray for one another month by month. But to pray effectively much more is needed than a card with names spread over the 30 days of the month. We have to share our lives with each other. We need to sit down with each other and we need to be able to ask each other, tell us about your work. How are things in your family? How are you getting on in your faith? And you need to share with others what is happening in your life, in your work, in your family, in your faith. And Paul is 
doing that so that these people can pray for him. But then there's a second reason why Paul wants the Ephesians to know his affairs. And it's the end of verse 23. And the two go together actually. He says that he, that is Tychicus, may encourage you. So Paul is sending Tychicus to the Ephesians. And Tychicus is going to tell them about Paul's affairs for what purpose? That the Ephesians might be encouraged. We have heard firsthand of what God is doing in Christ through our brother Paul, through his ministry, through his imprisonment. And as they listen, they will be encouraged in their faith. And here is another reason why we are to share our lives together with each other. Yes, to pray effectively for each other, but then to have this ministry that happens in the pew, it doesn't come from the pulpit, this ministry of encouragement one to the other in our faith in Christ. As we share with each other, and as we hear from each other how Christ is sustaining us in our work, in my family, in your circumstances, that will be a blessing to you and to us and to each other. So Paul is saying here something very important about church life. He's saying we are to know each other and we are to be known by each other. We are to know and we are to let be known. And there was an aspect of that that came out there in our reading at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the question is, am I doing that? Are you doing that? Are we doing that? Are we knowing each other? Do you take an interest in every other believer in this fellowship. Spending and taking an opportunity. Over the cup of tea afterwards. Perhaps having them to your home. Going out for coffee together. Whatever way that suits you. And your circumstances. To get to know the other believers. Within the fellowship. But then here's the other side of it. Are you allowing other believers. To get to know you. Are you allowing your fellow believers to get to know you? Because sadly, sometimes that aspect can be missing. And someone can be very good at reaching out to other people and talking to them and finding out about what's happening in their lives. But when it comes to saying what's happening in their life, the shutters come down. And the barriers go up. And then what happens is this. Then often, because they don't share themselves with their fellow believers, they will draw the wrong conclusion and say the church is unfriendly. Whereas the reality is, the person themselves is being unfriendly. Proverbs says, he who wants to have friends must show himself to be friendly. If we want to know others, and if we want to have friendship with others, we must allow ourselves to be known by others. Now that's costly. And it was costly for Paul. Because look at what Paul says here about Tychicus, whom I sent to you. You see, there's going to be a cost for Paul in letting the Ephesians know about his life. Because he's got to send Tychicus from Ephesus to Rome. And he's going to have to do without Tychicus. 
And he's going to have to make sacrifice. Antichicus is going to be away for a period. And for Tychicus, it's going to involve effort and danger. He's got to make this journey from Rome to Ephesus. And so, if you and I are to share our lives together, and if we're to pray for each other, so that we are encouraging one another, it is going to involve time, it's going to involve sacrifice, it's going to involve effort, and it's going to involve danger. And there are dangers in opening up our lives. The danger that somebody else will misunderstand us. The danger that somebody that we share our lives with, that they will use that in a wrong way to gossip. Or they'll use it against us. And that sometimes is the reason why a person will be very good at getting to know other people, but they will not let other people get to know them because they're afraid of the dangers. And the cost that comes with this ministry of encouragement that is to be in the pew and in the life of the congregation that is not from the pulpit ministry but is from the member to member ministry. Paul being an encouragement to the brethren. And let us all ask ourselves this morning am I being an encouragement to the brethren? Am I getting to know them? And am I allowing them to get to know me so that we can be encouraged together and so that we can pray for one another effectively in our congregation? Let's notice then, secondly, Paul giving honour to a brother. And now we want to pick up on the words in the middle of the verse. We've touched on Tychicus already. But we want now to think about this man, Tychicus. This man who's with Paul in Rome and whom he's going to send to Ephesus. We don't know a lot about this man in Scripture. He first appears in Acts 20 verse 4. During Paul's third missionary journey. He is a native of Asia. And Ephesus is within Asia. And perhaps Tychicus comes from Ephesus itself. And if that's the case, then it would be a very natural choice and an obvious choice for Paul to send from Rome to Ephesus. He is now going to act as Paul's postman. Paul has his letter written, but it's got to be carried to its destination. And so he asked Tychicus to do that. And in fact, Tychicus well, of a second letter, he'll also carry the letter to the Colossians. He may well have been the man that Paul dictated this letter to, and Tychicus wrote it down on Paul's behalf. There's evidence again and again in Paul's letters that he spoke and someone wrote down. Wrote it down. Notice the words Paul includes about Tychicus. Very striking again, and very deliberate on the part of Paul. All Paul had to say was the way in which I gave it to you at the beginning of the first point, Tychicus will make known all things to you. But that's not what Paul does. Look at what he says. He adds words. A beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord. He didn't need to write those things, but he did. And scripture, there's no accidents. And so we've got to ask the question, why? Why did Paul go out of his way to say of Tychicus, a beloved brother and a faithful servant? And I want to suggest to you that it's out of appreciation and out of sheer gratitude to God. It's an acknowledgement of what God and Christ has made this man and what this man has been in the life of the Apostle himself. Notice the phrases. He is a beloved brother. And again, let's 
always get behind Scripture, not just read it in a wooden, empty form. A beloved brother. What's Paul saying? Well, he's saying something about himself. He's saying, I value highly other Christians. I'm not a lone ranger. I don't live the Christian life with minimal contact with other believers. And there are some Christians who are like that. And they're wrong when they're like that. Because we are a family. And we need our brothers and sisters. And we need beloved brothers and beloved sisters. And it's a great blessing when in the church of Jesus Christ, those who worship with us, we look upon them and we think about them and we speak of them as beloved brothers and sisters. When there is appreciation and gratitude to God in our hearts for them. For Paul, love, of course, as we saw there in 1 Corinthians 13. To love is the vital and outstanding evidence of Christian faith and the Christian community. Notice how he said, it's not how eloquent somebody is and how able they are and how articulate they are. In the Christian faith. It's not about the gifts that a man has. Or a woman has. It's not about the sacrifice that they make. That's not what makes someone a Christian. Be willing to put their their body through the fire. The extremists in Islam. Are willing to die. For something. That is utterly false. And so to be willing to die for a cause, that doesn't make someone a Christian. Paul says it's love. Because God is love. And in Christ, what does God do when he makes someone a Christian? He fills, he pours his love into our hearts. Love that forgives our sins. Love that, give, love that gives us the righteousness of Christ. And Paul says, if that love of God has been poured into the heart of a man or a woman, it will show itself in their lives. In fact, it will be the distinguishing mark of that person. And forget all the other things if they haven't got love. Forget the fact that they can pray. Forget the fact that they can preach. Forget the fact that they would, they would go to the end of the earth and sacrifice themselves for people. If there is not love as described in 1 Corinthians 13, that person, Paul says, is not a believer. And so love is the outstanding characteristic of your life and my life and of this congregation if we belong to Christ. And Paul sees it in this man, Tychicus. And Tychicus, you see, how is he showing this love? Well, Tychicus is not under arrest. Only Paul is. And yet Tychicus has gone to Rome with Paul. And Tychicus has stayed in Rome for Paul's sake. Antigonus is in Rome to serve Paul in whatever way he can to make his imprisonment more bearable and to minister to him in Christ, to help him in his apostolic work from his prison house. He'll run errands, he'll take letters, he'll do whatever needs doing for the sake of Christ and my brother Paul. Nothing is too great you and I who know the love of God in Christ we are to love one another as defined in 1 Corinthians 13 we're to be brothers and sisters who sacrifice for one another who minister Christ to one another in the ups and downs, the twists and turns of life. 
our distinguishing trait as individuals and as a community has to be the love of Christ constrain us in our words, constraining us in our actions, constraining us in our thoughts. And so nothing should be too much trouble for you to for you or me to do for another member. And at times of need, our fellow members are to be the first people we turn to. You're to be the first people I turn to. And each other um, is to be the first people that you turn to for prayer, for help, for support, for encouragement. Are you and I, are we beloved brothers? And then to the phrase, a beloved brother, Paul adds, and faithful servant in the Lord. Faithful servant in the Lord Jesus. He now comes to talk about what he does. He's been talking earlier about how he behaves. Now here's how what Tychicus does. He's faithful in service. He has proven himself in small things. Paul can rely on this man. This man is mature. This man is level-headed. This man is a safe pair of hands to entrust a very valuable letter to. He does what he takes on. And you see again, I as your minister and you as believers... You're called by Christ to be faithful servants of Christ and his church. You're to be like this man, mature, level-headed, able to be entrusted with responsibility, dependable, safe pair of hands. When you take on something, you know they are ever asked you to take it on, and whoever knows you're taking it on, they know it will be done from the A to the Z, from the beginning to the finish. They don't need to have another thought. Will she be there? Will he do that? But then this phrase, servant in the Lord, has a more precise meaning. You're all servants. We're all servants in the Lord. But here the word servant refers to the ministry. To the ministry. And Tychicus is a gospel minister. Perhaps he was ordained by Paul and the presbytery as happened with Timothy. And Paul sees Tychicus as a faithful gospel minister. Now, when we talk about faithful gospel ministers today, what immediately comes to our mind is faithful to the truth. And that's important. But it seems to me that there can be a, there can be a presentation of faithfulness to the truth which brings out um, only a rigidity. And somebody who is... Who, um, will not be, is, is no flexibility. And that's wrong. Because here I think what we see alongside a man who is a good minister, who tells the gospel as it is in truth, we see also a man who's very flexible. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the other references to, to Tychicus, let me just mention that, because I think it illustrates this point. Paul later sends him to Ephesus to replace Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, verse 12. At another point, Paul considers sending Tychicus to Crete so that Titus can join Paul at Nicopolis. Titus 3, verse 12 will give you the reference for that. Now what does that tell us about this man who is a faithful servant in the Lord with Paul? He's flexible. 
He's willing to go where he's needed. He's willing to go where he's asked to go by the apostle. He doesn't say, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. And the challenge comes not just to me as a minister. Am I a flexible minister of the gospel in this sense that we've thought about? Willing to go where need is. Willing to do what I'm asked to do in Christ. By the wider church. But also it comes right down to you. Are you flexible in your service? Are you willing to do new things? Or are you someone who says, well, no, I won't do that. And I can't do that. And I won't go there. I'll only serve in my little way that I want to serve. Are you someone of whom the elders can say, that man, that woman is a faithful servant. Not just that they hold to the gospel and they're true to the gospel, but also they have a flexibility about them. Willing to serve wherever they're asked, wherever they're needed, whatever the circumstance. You don't have to tiptoe around them because they might be offended if you ask them to do this or that. Paul giving honour to a brother, a faithful, sorry, a, a beloved brother. He says of Tychicus, and a faithful servant. Let's notice finally then this morning, Paul pronouncing blessing, pronouncing blessing on the congregation. Paul never closes a letter without pronouncing blessing. And I think that brings a challenge to us actually, that a church service, and I say this for my elders to think about, it should never close without the blessing of God being pronounced on the congregation. Now that means, or we've got to think about that, because if that's true, then if there's someone preaching who's not ordained and cannot pronounce the blessing, then an elder should pronounce the blessing on the congregation. But we'll leave that for the elders to, to chew over and to come to a conclusion on. But let's look at the point here. In the final two verses, Paul includes his, con includes his farewell greeting to the believers. And this is Paul's goodbye, or God be with you. And what he does now is he draws together the key themes from the body of his letter to form what is the equivalent of the crescendo in a piece of music. You've all listened to music and it builds and it builds to the climax. And that's what Paul's doing here now. He's drawing in peace. He's talked about peace. He's talked about love early in his letter. He's talked about faith. He's talked about grace. And now he brings them all together like the cymbals clanging and the drums rolling and the trumpets blasting it out. And he says... Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we can't take time to, to get into or to do this in detail this morning. But what's he saying? Well he's saying to us peace, love and faith are the stock and trade of the Christian faith. Peace, love and faith are the stock and trade of the Christian faith. Here are the foundational blessings we have in Christ. You and I know peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I experience love, the love of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the Christian faith begins. And that is why uh, these three things, when they exist in a person's life, they are the evidences that a person has been saved. 
But then we can go further and we can say that these three things, these three qualities, peace, faith and love, are the ongoing stock and trade of the Christian life. In other words, they're what we receive from God and Christ, not just the moment I'm saved, but every single day of my earthly life. I receive peace and I know peace uh, with God and I have love of God and faith in God. And why is that important? Why do I emphasize that? Well, here's the reason. You and I encounter many difficulties as Christians. We have remaining sin. We live in a hostile world. As we have seen last weekend with the boys and girls, we have a fierce enemy, the devil, against whom we've got to stand. And we enter into experiences that test us, that upset us and perplex us. And at times, you may feel that you're on the edge. You're on the very, very edge, in danger of toppling over the the precipice. Because of some difficulty that you're facing in your life. Some burden that you bear. Some opposition that you're meeting. And you say to yourself, and perhaps if you're honest, you say to those closest to you, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to keep going as a Christian. Or in this course, this path, That God has put me in. And then what happens? In a strange, well it's not strange. But in an unexpected way. A renewed peace engulfs us. And a fresh impulse of love surges within us. Or a blast of faith. Like a sudden blast of wind, it rises up within us and it puts wind in our sails again as a Christian. And how are you and I to account for those experiences? Well, they are our installment now of what Paul prays here for his readers. Peace to the brethren. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is wanting the Ephesians and their circumstances and their difficulties where they are and they're in a very, very difficult city where there's sorcery and there's magic and there's all kinds of things happening and pressures upon them And Paul is wanting them, when they're really on the edge, he's praying, Lord, give them your peace again. Give them your love again. Give them faith again, that they will hold on as you hold on to them. Their ongoing blessings that God apportions us in Christ. And then in verse 24, Paul widens his horizons. You see, Paul's not some narrow-minded man that only has his little church that he's been involved in in his sights. He now thinks of all believers, wherever they are in his day. And here's what he declares, the grace. It's the grace. And he has in mind the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all those who love Jesus Christ in sincerity. He thinks now of all the believers that are scattered across the Roman Empire and beyond. All who love Christ with an uncorruptible love. All those who love Christ, no matter what the cost, no matter what the consequence, he says, Lord God, bless them. Bless them. And so Paul pronouncing blessing on the congregation. And the final element of the worship service is the benediction. 
That's what we call it. When I lift my hands, and after the final singing, I speak those words, either from the New Testament or the Aaronic blessing from the Old Testament. And one is not better than the other. Both and each are in Christ. And it's not a polite way of saying to you, it's over. You can now go home. The benediction that the minister of Christ or the ordained servant of Christ see no reason why ruling elders shouldn't pronounce it in the absence of the minister. What is it? It's God's assurance to you that you will make it through the next week. That's the way you're to take it. If you don't remember anything else from the service, if you can't hold on to the sermon because of weakness of memory or whatever, and it gets pushed out, I do hope you hold on to the sermon, I do hope you pray it into your life, but the benediction is God's assurance to you that you will make it through the next week. His grace, His love, His fellowship is upon you in Christ. Whatever happens, whatever difficulties, and it is pronounced, not prayed. Get the difference. And the church today needs to get the difference again. There's people who go out of churches every week after week and they don't have the blessing pronounced upon them. Ministers should never turn it into a prayer. It should never be may the grace. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The minister should never invite the congregation to say it together. Let's say together the blessing. The congregation cannot bless themselves. The minister is appointed or the elder is appointed in the name of Christ to pronounce blessing upon the people of God before they separate at the end of the worship of God. And so here's my practical application to you. Don't switch off for the benediction. Or don't do what I've sometimes found people doing. I'm not conscious of it happening here, so I'm not. But don't start doing this. Gathering your bits and pieces together. Because we want to go. No, stand, open your eyes, and receive the blessing of Christ. Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with all those who love Christ in sincerity. Amen. That's why I ask. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our hearts well up within us with gratitude and praise to you for your blessings to us, unworthy men and women and boys and girls that we are, all that you give to us in Jesus Christ, your Son, that every time we come together, you pour grace and mercy and love and peace into our hearts and into our lives. And we thank you, Lord God, that in those times when we almost feel we cannot take another step as a Christian, that then you come and your peace descends upon us and your love fills us and our faith is renewed and we step forward once again. We thank you, Lord God, for these ongoing blessings. That this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to walk in it and to live in the light of it all the days of our lives. And we thank you, Almighty God, that every time we come together in worship, we are to go out of worship 
with your blessing putting a spring in our step because we know that your grace and your love and your fellowship will be with us throughout the week which lies ahead until we meet again. Lord, help us to be what we ought to be in the light of the earlier part of our sermon, to be an encouragement to one another in prayer and in sharing. And help us, Lord God, also to give honour to our brothers and sisters and to be those filled with love and those marked by faithfulness to the extension of your kingdom, the glory of your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close our service by singing from Psalm number 3. Psalm number 3, the tune is Gabriel, number 90. The psalmist sees many foes around him, as we have. But he looks to the Lord, his shield, and he looks to his love and his blessing. And look at the end of the psalm, and this way I've chosen it. O let the blessing of your grace be on your people shown. Let's stand and sing these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.